Today's scripture comes from Matthew 22, 1-14. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You may be seated. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful to you for every text of scripture in this entire Bible that you have so graciously given us, that you speak to us through it, that you tell us who you are and, and what you're like, and you also reveal to us how we might live in light of the truth of who you are. I just pray that we would look at this text, that we would know the beauty of the fact that you've called us, the, the reality that we are yours, and that we might rejoice in that today, even as we look at it. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Brett. I want to add my welcome to Kendra's. I also want to say there is no smooth way to transition from a very cute Father's Day video to a text talking about outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. I just want to acknowledge that. I also want to acknowledge that in the first gathering, they cheered when they talked about the meat at the barbecue. So um, <clears throat> I, I'm not sure what happened to you. Maybe they were hungry and you came in fully fed. I'm not sure how that worked, but there's, uh, there's good news about that. This parable, we're, we're in a series of parables, uh, just walking through some of the, the parables of Jesus just for a couple of months here, looking at this. There was a, a parable today that is about a generous king who opens wide the invitation to come and celebrate his son. It's a parable about that king's judgment on the rebellious people who will not come to the table. And then it's a parable about the inclusive nature of his invitation to the feast. And this is a parable about the exclusive terms of how you can come into his kingdom. We're going to cover all of that and more as we walk through the text. We're going to move through this starting here in verse 1. We'll, we'll continue on. In verse 1, our text starts up by saying, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. Who is the them in this text? Who is he speaking to? Uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 21 and 22, there's actually three consecutive parables that Jesus is teaching. This is the third of the three consecutive parables, and he's in a conversation with the religious leaders, and that conversation is happening on the week of his crucifixion and death and burial and resurrection. The religious leaders come to him and they ask him a question, and as part of his answer, he gives them three consecutive parables. Now, I, I want to locate this in the timeline of Jesus' ministry so that we have uh, some idea of what's going on around him as he communicates what he says in this parable. 
this was the day after Palm Sunday. That's when he offers this parable. Palm Sunday was the day that he rides in on the back of a donkey, a triumphant procession as he moves into the city, revealing himself as the king that they had been longing for. And he comes in with cries to Hosanna, which is this cry of salvation. He comes in and they're laying their cloaks down on the road before him and they're laying down palm fronds and his donkey is walking along and they're moving in. He moves all the way to the temple He gets to the temple and he goes into the money changers that are there, the greedy people who are profiting off uh, off the fact there's a festival happening and they're turning a profit in the temple and he flips their tables over, he chases out all the greedy people. Says then that the sick and the blind and the deaf and the lame, they all come to him and he heals them in the temple. Now what's important about all of this is that all of this has been done in full view of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And they're very concerned about it. So Jesus leaves for that day and he comes back the next day and he's in the temple. So now this is the day that he delivers the parable. It's the Monday of Holy Week. It's the day after Palm Sunday. He's delivering this parable because the religious leaders come to him and they ask him a question. They they effectively come to him and they go, like, what do you think you're doing? You got to go back into Matthew chapter 21 to see this in verse 23. When they entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Okay, these three parables and ours today is the third of the three is part of his answer. See, the question that they're asking about his authority is very loaded because these religious leaders are the ones who think they are in charge. Uh, It's like being the kid at school, if some of you can remember back that far. And you're in trouble. You're messing around. You're doing something at school. And your teacher walks up to you and goes, excuse me, what are you doing? Okay, you and I both know that's not a question. That is a comment. Right? When the teacher walks up to you and goes, excuse me, sir, which is what they called me in school, I guess. You all right? Wow. Excuse me, Brett. Who said you could do that? That's not a question. That is a comment from the person who believes they are in the position of authority. So when the religious leaders come to Jesus and they go, "Uh, by what authority are you doing these things? Yesterday, you wrote in like a king. We have some questions about that. It's a high holy week here in Jerusalem and you're healing people. That was unauthorized, and so we just thought we'd check in with you and ask you, by what authority you think you're doing this? When they say that, here's what's going on. They're standing there going, by what authority are you doing this? They're going like this, puffing out their, they are the authority. And they're going, hey, did you tell him he could do that? No, did you tell him he could do that? No. By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus answers, he says, let me tell you a story. Verse one. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Notice that the servants are inviting or calling those who are already invited. It's important that we see that. In the ancient Near East, when you were hosting a giant celebration or throwing a big party like this, what you would do is you would send out an initial general invite hey, by the way, King's son is getting married. There's going to be a party and you're invited. And you would RSVP to that, not knowing the date of when it's going to happen. So these people have been invited and they have said yes. This is the second invite where it is now specific. 
All the arrangements have been made. The servant is sent out again and is going to bring in those with him who got the first general invite. It's going to go out to them and go, it's time to come. So the king sends out the servant, says, this is the time you've all been waiting for. It is the party of the year. It's time to come and celebrate the king's son at his wedding feast. And those who have already been invited and already RSVP'd yes to the general invitation now receive the specific invitation and they go, nah, we're not coming. In the first general invite, they say yes. In the second specific invite, they say no. This exposes the king to open shame. He loses face. He's invited these guests and now they will not come, but... He's a kind and he is a generous king. He tries again, verse four. Then he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. See, the king is now at the point of kind of groveling going like, but did you tell him it's gonna be good? Again, high school, you remember. And you're like hosting a party and you're like, please come. Because if you come, she'll come. What do you mean, what does the party need to look like for you to come and for your circle of friends to come? Because I'll make that happen. I got the ox taken care of, the fattened calves have been slaughtered. I want you to come. He's groveling a bit here, incentivizing people. No, 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 seriously. Servants, go tell them. It's going to be great. What happens? Verse five. But they paid no attention. Literally, they did not care. And they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treating them shamefully, and killed them. What is going on here? This is a parable explaining the kingdom of heaven. Verse 2 says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. See, in this parable, the king is God the Father, the son is Jesus Christ, And the servants are the prophets who have been sent out from the king to say the long-awaited wedding celebration for my son has arrived. It is time to come to the party. The first round of general invites gets a kind of a, yeah, sure, we'll come. Thank you very much. Honored to be invited. Second round of invites gets a flat-out refusal. God's people reject the invitation to come and celebrate Jesus. The third round of invites is pleading with people to come. That has been met with those who are either preoccupied with their own affairs or it is met with others who take the servants, the prophets, and kill them. It is a picture of God's persistent pursuit of his chosen people and it is a picture of their consistent rejection of God. In some ways, it's a picture of what we see all through the Old Testament. God's people failing, God coming to them, wooing them back, They get kind of okay for a while and then they fall into disobedience and he woos them back and sometimes they send, God sends prophets and they just ignore them. They treat them shamefully and sometimes they even kill them. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is even talking about this. He says in Matthew chapter five, verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's not new. This has been happening for generations. 
Jesus is trying to make it clear the moment of time they're living in. He's trying to clarify what is going on. In fact, in the parable immediately before the one that we're looking at, Matthew 21, starting in verse 33, Jesus says, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and he built a tower and he leased it to tenants and he went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. God sends his servants, they reject him. God sends more servants, they reject him. God sends his son and they kill him. It's like Jesus is saying, God has been sending prophets to you and you don't listen. And in your rejection of those prophets, you are rejecting God. Jesus, it's like he's saying, God sent John the Baptist as the forerunner of the Messiah. He sent John the Baptist in. When John got his head chopped off, served up on a platter at a party, you all didn't even seem to care. Now God sends his son, and what is your response? You challenge his authority. There's an ongoing conversation and dialogue with the religious leaders in parable form of how they have rejected God and are challenging now Jesus' own authority. You know, Hebrews 1 tells us that long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This whole thing goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. God begins speaking in the Garden of Eden. God begins to speak through then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and through all of the other prophets all the way through history. And then he speaks loudest and most clearly in and through the life and ministry of Jesus. And yet his people are not listening. And when the time comes for this general invitation to be made specific, they say, we're not coming. They're preoccupied with their own affairs. They're actively rebellious. They murder the prophets. They reject God's offer to come and celebrate Jesus. And this is what's mind-blowing. God is still compassionate toward them. Jesus is still compassionate toward them. Listen to what it says in the chapter that follows where we're at today. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus is praying and he's he's saying oh Jerusalem Jerusalem the king that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing there's like a a grieving and a lamenting that's going on because God's people are not willing to come to Jesus he invites them and they don't come they're not willing now hear me this is not just some far-off thing that happened once to some people in Jerusalem. That's, that's part of the story here. But the compassion of Jesus and the kindness of God are meant to lead us to repentance and draw us into closer relationship with him. He wants you at his table. Christ City, do you hear that? In the ancient Near East, this was a picture of intimacy and a privileged place. He wants you at his table. This parable is about Jesus' kingdom. So let me just ask you, when was the last time you questioned the authority of Jesus? (coughs) 
When was the last time you functionally rejected the invitation of God to just come and be with him? See, the Holy Spirit prompts us. What he's doing, he's trying to draw you. Why? Because he loves you. Father loves you. He sent his servant to invite you, to call you, to draw you to come to him. Come and sit at his table. I said this parable is about a generous king who opens wide the invitation to come and celebrate his son. And I said this parable is about the king's judgment of that rebellious people who will not come. It says in verse 7, the king was angry. And he sent his troops to destroy and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And some of you are tempted to think that was unjust. I think that sounds like a maybe a bit of an overreaction. Well, he sent out his servants, and it was on the third time that they finally killed his servants. And the king in the parable is within his right to execute his rule. Now, gratefully, that's not where the parable ends. Look at verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out, into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. It says the wedding hall was filled with guests, but all of the expected guests are absent and all of the unexpected guests are present. Something has gone on. There's been a shift here. In the ancient world, the main roads um, were not the roads in the city or in the community themselves. They were the roads that connected community to community. And so the king tells his servants to go out to the main roads, and the main roads were used by everyone. Just like in our city, there's some neighborhoods that you probably don't go into very often, and maybe you don't go there because you don't want to go there. And just like when you travel to other cities in the world, you know the locals will say, don't go to that neighborhood or don't go to that neighborhood. But what he has done here is he has sent his servants to the main road. And the main road was used by everyone from every different background, from every different place, from every different socioeconomic situation. The main road was used if you were either arriving or departing from the city. The road that is used by men and women and children alike. It is used by the rich and the poor and the local and the foreigner and the every ethnic different group that you could find. It was used by every kind of person and it was from every kind of place that these people were either coming or going. And whatever they were doing and wherever they were going, this is the place where they all crossed paths. The king goes, go to that place and invite any who will come. He did not say to his servants, go therefore and find people who look just like you in that nice neighborhood down the road where all the houses have nicely trimmed hedges in front of it. He didn't say that. He didn't say go and find people who you want to hang around with. He doesn't go and say, also he doesn't say, <laughs> please do not go to that neighborhood at the bottom of the hill that's a total mess of destruction. Don't go there. Just go to the nice place. Now he says, go to the main roads. Go to the main roads. 
where you will find everyone. For generations, God's people have been hearing about the soon-to-come arrival of this Savior, and when he comes, they reject him. And now in Christ, God is saying, anyone from anywhere can come and celebrate my son. A shift has happened. There's something going on. The king, who is God, has invited the bad and the good, the outcast and the riffraff. He has invited them to the wedding feast of his son, who is Jesus Christ, and everyone is invited to a seat at the table. In telling the parable this way, Jesus is making it very clear that his kingdom is not limited to the Jewish people that he was speaking with or the religious elite who he was directing this at, but it is for all kinds of people from all kinds of places. This parable is about the inclusive nature of the kingdom of God. It says in verse 8, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. What does that mean? What makes them unworthy? Well, when the invitation came, they didn't respond. That's it. Craig Blomberg said, one might imagine the second group of invited guests is equally, if not even more, unworthy. But the worthiness or unworthiness in view here has to do with one's response to the proclamation of the gospel. These last approached do respond properly and the kingdom now issues forth in a plentiful community. And here it is, Christ City. We live in the city of Vancouver in the year 2023. And we live in and among a culture that loves to talk about inclusivity and creating places to belong. I like those things. I'm for those things. And because inclusivity is good and creating places for others to belong is good, we need to figure out where that came from. In a world that prizes inclusivity, Christianity should be the best news that anyone has ever heard. Who can come? Anyone. Oh, anyone? Yeah. First you, but also anyone. That's a beautiful message. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and maybe you're not part of the church and you think, well, I've had a couple of interactions with Christians, it doesn't seem like that's true. It doesn't seem very inclusive. I would just say, I'm sorry that that's been your experience. You have to forgive us. We are still works in progress. But that does not mean it's not true. That's what this parable is teaching us. The main roads are where you find anyone and everyone, and anyone and everyone are invited to the kingdom feast. And you go, well, I didn't grow up in the kind of family that does the church thing. I'm not sure I could be accepted. This parable is good news for you. It doesn't matter what family you're from. If you respond to the invite, you have a seat at the table. And some of you might think, well, I don't belong, and this can't possibly be for me because I am a total moral failure. I have knocked out many on the list of the big no-no sins, and if you knew who I was and what I have done, you might even be uncomfortable that I'm sitting here in this room right now, and I'm just telling you that that's not true. Anyone and everyone can come. There is not a broader, more inclusive invitation in any world religion. You cannot find this. Anyone can come. 
And you go, oh, well, okay, let me think through the Rolodex of people in my mind because I'm trying to figure out who can't come. They can come. Right? They can come. I think, I want you to feel uncomfortable with who can come. Anyone can come. The invitation is not based on how good you have been or how well you've lived in the past. It is not based on what you've done or what you've left undone. It is based only on the generosity of the king who opens the door to bad and good alike. That's the gospel. The invite does not come to those who deserve it. (laughs) That's the point. It's actually the way you get excluded. You think you deserve it. Those who were found to be unworthy were not unworthy because of who they were and what they had done. They were counted as unworthy because they were unwilling. The worthy are just the willing. The unworthy are unwilling and the worthy are willing. And that's as simple as I can make it. Those who come when they're called are invited to stay. The gospel of grace undermines every excuse that you could come up with why you or someone else should be precluded from the love of God in Christ. The king's invitation is to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the murderers and the notorious sinners and to the sexually messed up and the sexually confused and to the corrupt and the criminal and the invitation to the good news of the gospel of grace to us in Jesus Christ is for the soccer mom who occasionally gets angry and then feels despair over it. All of it for all of you and for me. These are all the people we see Jesus ministering to all the way throughout the Gospels. He was called the friend of sinners. He still is. So the parable is about the radical inclusivity, of the, the nature of the inclusivity of the invitation here to the feast. But it's also about the radically exclusive terms of how you get to come to the table and participate in the kingdom. Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, few are chosen. This is abrupt. This is sudden. This is disconcerting. This seems so out of place with the rest of the parable. This week I read many different scholars from 2,000 years of Christian history on the topic of this parable. And there are some within the history of the church who think that this must have been stuck in there later because it does not accord with the rest. (laughs) They're wrong. But that's what they thought because it's so abrupt, because it's so sudden. This parable doesn't say what we want it to say. You know what we want it to say? We want the parable to end with a wedding hall that was filled with the bad and the good, and we want to go, yay! It's the end. It doesn't end like that. Verse 11, when the king came in and looked to look at the guests, He saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. 
Okay? In this parable, it's easy to see that the king is God the Father, that the Son is Jesus Christ, that the servants are the prophets, the first guests are the religious leaders, and the guests who accept the invite, whether they are Jews or Gentiles, become God's new people, the church. It's simple to see this. But what does the wedding garment represent? Because without the wedding garment, you are kicked out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is an important question. What's the wedding garment all about? Well, historically, some have said that it's about the love of God. Some have said it's about your faith. Some have said it's a picture of your obedience to God. It's a sign that you've been saved and then changed. Some historically have said that it's about your repentance. It, and without it, you're cast out of the feast. I think it's a picture of the transformative reality of the new birth that we experience when we come to Christ. There's something that's transformative about it. Let me ask you. Those of you who follow Jesus, are you saved by the love of God? Yes. Are you justified before God? Through faith in the finished work of Christ? Is it about your faith? Well, yes. Do you prove your new life in Christ through ongoing repentance from sin and your spiritual and moral formation in Christ's likeness? The answer is yes. It's about that. When you were saved, did you cast off, in a sense, your old garments and then were you then clothed anew in Christ's righteousness? Yes. It's all of that. So why is this guy who isn't wearing the wedding garment kicked out and eternally condemned? See, when the first general invite went out, it gave people time to go and prepare their wedding garments. That was one of the reasons that you sent out the long-term RSVP. Hey, everybody, just so you know, King's son's getting married, going to be a huge party. Probably get your stuff together. You're invited. Thank you very much. I'm going to make sure my wedding garments are nice and white. Second specific invite comes and you are ready to go. See, there's lots that you had to prepare, but you would now be ready to go. The problem was when the second specific invite came, they all rejected it. So the king sends his servants out to the main roads, right? To invite anyone and everyone to come to the table, to be there for the feast as they celebrate the wedding of his son. But it seems to me when they're compelled to come into the party and they're invited, which, I mean, if you're just a normal person traveling from wherever, going wherever, doing whatever, from a family of no standing, from a family of high standing, whatever the case is, when the king says, you are invited to come and feast at my house, what a tremendous honor that is for you. You show up. But they didn't give them any time to go and prepare. The third round of invites were to the people who were out on the main roads, bringing in whoever was there. Let's go. You can come to the king's house. There's going to be a feast for his son. When would they have had time to go get their wedding garments? They wouldn't have. Furthermore, some of them would have been dirt poor and they only owned the garment that they were wearing. And it wasn't for weddings. So the king comes in and he starts to walk around the celebration and everyone is decked out in a wedding garment except one guy. And he goes up to him and says, friend, which is more like, hey, buddy, where's your wedding garment? 
Now, he was speechless, which is really interesting because he could have said, uh, bro, I got invited here five minutes ago. That's one thing he could have said. He also could have said, I'm broke. Wedding garment. I got no place to lay my head. He's speechless, which is interesting. Where did all the wedding garments come from that everybody else were wearing? I think the king provides them at the door. I think the king provided them at the door. I think, I think that the wedding garment is a gift. I think it's a picture of what the whole thing's all about. <laughs> You're all invited. But you got to put this on. John Calvin said, there is no point in arguing about the marriage garment, whether it is faith or a holy, godly life. For faith cannot be separated from good works, and good works proceed only from faith. All Christ wants to say here is that we are called by the Lord under the condition that we be renewed in our spirits into his image. And therefore, if we are to remain always in his house, the old man with all his blemishes is to be cast off and we are to practice the new life so that our appearance may correspond to our honorable calling. <laughs> when you accept the invite to come to the kingdom, when you come to the door of the wedding feast and you are a hot mess, when you approach the dwelling of your great God and King, you take off your filthy rags and he clothes you anew in the righteousness of Christ. It's an exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you will come to the banquet, Jesus will take all your filth and sin. All the things that you should have done and all the things that you shouldn't have done, all the things that you left undone, all of that. He'll take all your shame. He'll remove all your reproach. He'll take all of that at the doorway of his own party and he'll make sure your stained garments are discarded and he will exchange them for the pure white robes that are appropriate for the celebration you've been invited to attend. But if you seek to come in, and you want to wear your own record of obedience, you want to wear your own good works, you want to wear your own righteousness, if you refuse the gift that he is offering you, you'll be cast out. It's a radically inclusive invitation, but it is a radically exclusive means of staying at the table. If you refuse to put on the newness of Christ, you are saying that you do not want to stay at the party. It's a picture of eternal condemnation in hell. What you do with the invitation to come into his kingdom has eternal consequences. It's not more urgent than this. You can't find anything more urgent than this. This is the most urgent thing you can deal with in your heart in the moment right now. Have you come in seeking to maintain your own standing or are you going to receive the right standing with God that is granted to you by faith in Christ as a gift? Have you snuck into the banquet on your own terms?
the king sees the guy who snuck into the banquet unchanged and the guy, the, he refused the gift at the door. And when he gets asked about it, he's got nothing to say. It's, it's, I didn't have time to go get my garments. That's not what he said. It's true of everyone. Well, I'm, I'm poor. I don't have anything. Well, it's true of a lot of people. The wedding garments are a gift. He denied it. He rejected it. And here's, what I, here's, here's how I've been praying for us. Here's what I want for all of us. I want a spiritual renewal for all of us. Like when you open your Bible, that the words just jump off the page because you recognize you're reading the very word of God. That you're just filled with joy as you begin to read a passage of scripture. And you meditate on it and it just sticks with you. It's renewing you, transforming you. When our prayer lives, when we just begin to pray and it's like, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Sometimes there's a discipline in just praying even though you feel like you're not being heard. There's a discipline because you're, you are heard. It's a promise that you're heard. But oh, I love it when that happens, when you pray and you just know because you can sense God's presence with you. My prayer is that we continue to grow in an awareness of the presence of God in everything that we do and everywhere that we go with all the people we're with and all the work that we do and everything else that goes on that we know he's with us. It's transformative. It's my prayer for us. Pray that we would deeply and slowly grieve our sin and come to true repentance. Not the repentance that lasts a couple of hours, but like transformative repentance that we just keep doing it, that we never give up repenting and that God renews us in the midst of it, a spiritual renewal in our own soul. Hmm. But that kind of renewal will never be yours unless you take this new garment and wear it. And unless you realize that you've done nothing to deserve your seat at the table. The invitation to the party is radically inclusive. Everyone can come. But it, the terms of the attendance are radically in, in, exclusive. You, you can only come through Jesus. Or you don't get to come at all. Many are invited. But few are chosen. See, the religious person that Jesus was speaking to in this parable, the religious person thinks they belong there. And their rejection of the invitation results in their ultimate rejection before God. But the bad people think they don't belong there. They don't think they're worthy, and yet they've been invited. And as long as they show up and they're willing to be clothed anew, they will find God's welcome. That's what this is saying. But I just want us to see... You'll, you'll never be good enough to earn your seat at the king's table. <laughs> and you'll never be bad enough to be forever excluded from the king's table. But what is demanded of you is that you put on the new life of Christ and you understand that garment is now your own. That wasn't just for the day of the wedding. You don't got to take that off. <laughs> That's yours. Eternally. Because ultimately, if you won't wear the new garment, what you're saying is, is you don't want to stay at the party. I know some of you feel like you're not worthy. Me too. It's the only way you come. Because the worthy are the willing. 
If you're unwilling to come, you are deemed unworthy by the king in this parable. But if you're willing to accept the invitation, to recognize that it is of no merit on your own that you are welcomed, he'll take your unworthiness and make you worthy. And that's yours forever. How are you going to respond to Jesus? Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would convict hearts, that those hearts that are hard to you would be softened now in your presence. Pray, God, that you would do a work in this moment of time that would echo through the course of all of eternity. Lord, I pray for those who feel filthy and ashamed, that they would recognize that you wash us and make us clean. Pray for those who in their thoughts right now think, I could never be forgiven for that. (laughs) And that you would just help them to understand that that does not make you uncomfortable at all. But Father, you sent your son Jesus to die for them. Come Holy Spirit. Just minister to our hearts, oh God. Many of us struggle to think that we are worthy of such a grand invitation. And I just pray that we would continue to walk with the humility that acknowledges we're not worthy and yet it's a gift. Pray that you would help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we respond?